0: Shalom, my dear brothers and sisters, we are studying together the second epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and we have arrived to the second chapter, and I would like to read these 17 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm reading as the Apostle Paul continues to open his heart to the Corinthians to show them his care for them and the reason that he had to deal with them severely and write to them some severe letters. And so we do read in Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? but the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is that this punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrariwise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him, for to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit, because I found no Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia." Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, to triumph in the Messiah, and makes manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved, and in them that perish, to the one. We are the Savior of death unto death, and to the other the Savior of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak. We of Christ, we speak of the Messiah, of the Messiah, and this is, beloved brothers and sisters, the second chapter of Second Corinthians, verses one to seventeen. Well, as we are entering now into the second chapter of this second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, that we have recorded for us in Scripture. We learn thus far that apparently the Apostle Shaul Paul have already written before he wrote 1 Corinthians a letter that was apparently lost. This first letter that he wrote to the Corinthians has been lost and therefore he wrote the first epistle. To the Corinthians. This first epistle to the Corinthians was a letter that was a severe letter, a letter that was very strong, and uh, apparently, when he wrote this first Corinthian, he had to charge the Corinthians, as we have already looked over in our study of first Corinthians, to charge them with that which was displeasing to the Lord that occurred in the local. Assembly to remind you that in First Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul wrote to them when he said, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether, and he continued to give an explanation. In other words, in that local assembly. In Corinth, there was a problem, there was many issues, but one of these issues was immorality. And therefore, he had already written to them in a first letter that is lost, then the one that he wrote that is recorded for us in Scripture, 1 Corinthians, he reminded to them of what he had already written to them. So, we have a lost letter, then we have First Corinthians. Now we're in the second epistle to the Corinthians, and apparently some believe that he wrote an additional letter that is also called severe letter, which we don't have recorded in the Word of God. And that's why in this second epistle in chapter 2, we read in verse 3 and I wrote the same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. Apparently, there is another letter called the severe letter, which some teach that was written, and it's not recorded in the Word of God, which is also was written by the apostle Paul. And now he's writing this second Corinthian. So really what we have, beloved brothers and sisters, as we study the second epistle to the Corinthian, there is a letter that was written that is lost. Then we have first Corinthian. Then we have a severe letter. And then we have second Corinthian. And that's why sometimes it's not easy to grasp things as we are reading now this second epistle. Now, in this second epistle, we have covered already chapter 1, and we have already covered specifically from chapter 1, verse 12 to the end of the chapter, with the question as to how do we handle difficulties in life? How do we handle, and, and the Apostle Paul shows us how he himself handling difficulties in his life, especially as he was facing the Corinthians, who were believers that the local assembly was established by him according to uh, Act chapter 18 the first 18 verses but yet their behavior towards him was bad and the condition there was bad spiritually speaking and that's why he had to write these letters to the corinthians so paul really it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, all the way to the end of 2nd Corinthians chapter 2. This is verse 17. Paul really opens, beloved brothers and sisters, he opens his heart to the Corinthians, and he's sharing with them the thing that he has on his heart. And how wonderful to see that as we study together this second epistle. In chapter one Verses 12 to 24, which we have already covered, Paul points to his own conscience. And since he have experienced this conflict with the Corinthian, he has opened his heart. He says, I have a clean conscience. When I wrote to you what I wrote to you, I'm writing to you with a clean conscience. That was, I wanted to come to you. I didn't come. I delayed my coming to you. And therefore... I have a clean conscience because I have continued to do what the Lord had given me to do. And I wanted you to repent and to act upon what I was saying to you. And I have a clean conscience. That's what he had mentioned in chapter 1, verses 12 to 24. Now in chapter two, Second Corinthians 2, and verses 1 to 11, Paul continues, beloved brothers and sisters... To share the need of believers to have compassion, to have a compassionate heart, and especially here in the second chapter, the apostle Paul deals with the situation that he had already written about in First Corinthians chapter five concerning the men that lived an immoral life, and he caused problem in the local assembly, and Paul said to them that they need to put this believer out of the assembly, out of fellowship, to put him out. But I have written unto you, not to keep company if a man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or a covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner with such and one not even to eat, he said. And then, in other words, what he's saying, you need to put this person who live immorally out of fellowship until he will repent and will be restored to the assembly of the believers. And so, if you remember, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, he mentioned this. So now that this particular brother, believer, have repented and now the Apostle Paul is exhorting the believers at Corinth to have compassionate heart and to know how to discipline but also to know how to restore a brother who fell into sin. So we learn from this that we not only need to have a clean conscience but also we need to have a compassionate heart in our lives as believers. And that's the thought that we have in the first 11 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The third point that we have in 2 Corinthians chapter Two is that we need to have a a faith in the Lord Jesus the Messiah that is really trusting Him that He will continue to lead God's people to conquer, to live a triumphant life here in this world. Only the Lord, by the Spirit of God, is able to help God's people. So let's go over, beloved brothers and sisters, over these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. First of all, verses 1 to 11, and then secondly, verses 12 to 17. So, notice that in verses 1 to 4, Paul emphasized the need to love the brethren, to love one another, and to put others first in the local assembly, although how difficult it is Yet that is the spiritual attitude that God's people are called to do. So we read in verse one, Second 2 Corinthians 2, verse 1, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. Verse 2, For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? So Paul did not want to come again to the Corinthians in heaviness. Apparently, he did make that short visit. And then he did send this severe letter. And then he didn't want to come again. Notice he used the word, I did not want to come again to you in heaviness. So apparently, Paul had a short visit to Corinth. And then he had to tell them what to do he apparently heard also additional news about the situation at Corinth, and then he says if i make you sorry who is he then that makes me glad but the same you see what he wanted from the corinthians he wanted from them that they will repent of that which they had been wronged about and again somehow we must connect first corinthian the holy epistle with now as the apostle paul is dealing with additional situation that existed at corinth and especially their attitude towards the apostle paul and so he's saying to them uh, he did not want to come again to the corinthian in heaviness and if you just notice if you just turn to chapter 13 to the last uh, portion of the of the second epistle you notice in verse 10 of 2nd corinthians chapter 13 therefore i write these things being absent lest being present i should use sharpness according to the power which the lord has given me to edification and not to destruction in other words paul said to the Corinthian, even you notice at the end of the second epistle, he says, really, God gave me authority as an apostle, and the power, the authority that I have, I want to use this authority for edification, but not to destruction. See, Paul loved the Corinthian, although they have treated him wrongly. They have accused him. Why he doesn't come? We will see that as we will continue in our study. When he wrote to them, he wrote to them in such a way that he told them their condition was wrong. They were saints, but their spiritual state was completely out of the will of the Lord as we have covered through the first letter that he wrote to them, problem after problem after problem, whether it is among each other with respect to the gifts, uh, marriages, and immorality, and the Lord's table, and the truth of resurrection, and divisions that existed. Now he is writing to them to correct their condition. Now they did not necessarily react uh, uh, right away in a right way, but w- later on you will notice that they responded. In a right way. But he is now telling them. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. I determined this with myself. That I would not come again unto you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry. Who is he? Then that makes me glad. But the same person. The same one which made sorry by me. I made you feel sad and sorrowful. Because I was very Strong in what I was telling you concerning the condition that existed at Corinth. Now you need to repent. When you will repent, you will make me glad. The only one that could make the Apostle Shaul Paul glad is the very one that repented and heard the challenging words that Paul had to say to the believers at Corinth. And so we read in verses 3 and 4, Paul wrote that, As we read here, it says, I wrote, notice, he's saying again, I wrote the same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice. Now, he ought to rejoice from the brethren, the people whom he led to the Lord Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, and became part of the local assembly, and and he wanted them to grow spiritually, Because the authority that was given to him as an apostle, as a shaliach by the Messiah, the Glorified Messiah, was that he would have the authority of an apostle in order to build them up, to establish local congregation in local cities, an assembly of believers, Jewish and gentle believers that will grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus the Messiah. So he's saying to them, you know... In verse 3, And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. When I am rejoicing with your conduct and behavior, it gives me joy in my heart and it will cause you to be joyful as well. Beloved brothers and sisters, this is exactly what the desire of any servant of the Lord serve among the people of God. He desired to see that God's people walking in the truth. That's remind us of what we read in the second epistle of John when Johanan John wrote to the family of God, the elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. And then he says, Grace be unto you, and mercy and peace from God our Father, from our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. I rejoice, notice what John is saying. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. In other words, there is joy for the spiritual leaders when they see that God's people walking in the truth and in obedience. It gives them joy. Well, beloved brothers and sisters, that is the challenge that Apostle Paul was facing when the Corinthians did not respond initially in a right way. And so in verse For we read, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, listen how Paul opening his heart, he wrote this letter with tears of love for the Corinthian believers. Again, I'm I'm reading this in verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. What an amazing. Now, that is where, beloved brothers and sisters, where some believe that there was that previous letter after the first Corinthians, before the letter of the second Corinthians, that there was a severe letter that was written. And that he wrote this severe letter because he wanted them to act upon what he had told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And again, to remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was immorality that was going on in the local assembly at Corinth. Let me just remind us all, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is, is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourn, that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily am absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such. And one unto Satan, for notice there the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lamp? Purge up therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Mashiach, Christ, Messiah, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with an old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So when he wrote them this letter of First Corinthians, he says, you are puffed up. Apparently, they were puffed up in hearing that they are puffed up. So, he had to write to them another letter, and that is where some would suggest would be that severe letter we read in 2nd corinthians 2 and verse 4 for out of much affliction and anguish of heart i wrote past tense unto you with many tears not that ye should be grieved but that ye might know the love which i have more abundantly unto you so again either he makes reference to the first corinthian letter or he makes reference to the an additional letter After 1 Corinthians, which is always called by those who teach the Word of God, the severe letter. And so, beloved brothers and sisters, Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand how much he loved them with much affliction and anguish of heart. I wrote unto you with many tears, and the reason that I wrote to you with these many tears and I was out of anguish of heart, not that you're going to grieve, but that you might know that I, the love which I have the more abundantly unto you, I love you, and that the reason that I'm telling you what you need to do is not because of any hatred towards you, but the opposite, it is because of my love towards you. You see, beloved brothers and sisters, sometimes when we are told by someone else who seeks to correct us, it's not written or told to us because one is hating us, because of, it is uh, out of love. It is out of love. The wounds of a friend are better than any great words. It is those wounds that come out of love that will help us to repent. And therefore, Paul wanted the Corinthians to recognize that he wrote to them this out of love for them. You know, it reminding us of what we read in First Corinthians chapter 13 about the love chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels and have not love, I become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have gifts of prophecy and uh, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains and have no love, I am nothing. You see, the Corinthians had so many things that were going on in their local assembly And they needed to realize that all the pride and ego and they were glorying in certain things and they were abusing gifts and they were looking after those spiritual gifts and they were not treating each other in the right way, divisions and the, the condition, the marriages, the moral condition that was said there. Taking one another to court, and on and on and on, and the immorality. And he's saying to them, "Listen, I did not write to you to correct you, corrective ministry, because I hated you, but I love you." He's saying to the Corinthian in Second Corinthians chapter two and verse four, "For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you." And now, beloved brothers and sisters, in verses uh, 5 and onward, he is explaining to them concerning the person, the man, that now have been apparently put away, the person that was put away, who lived immorally, and now he's repented, Paul wanted him to give counsel to the Corinthians, now that they should restore him back into the local assembly. And so in verses 5 and 6, Paul points to to the one that caused the grief, who needed to be disciplined, from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that we have covered, verses 1 to 8. He was disciplined, apparently, and now he needed to be restored you know this is an amazing fact to learn many time in in any local assemblies congregations when we need to correct someone and to act in discipline we don't know how and we oftentimes neglect that but when a time to restore something someone back to the local assembly we don't know how to do so as well in other words even when we finally made the correction and disciplined one who needs to be under discipline, yet oftentimes the restoration doesn't come. And it doesn't come not only because that one brother or one sister did not repent, but often we are harsh. Our expectations are high we don't search our own heart to see our own failure, no? our own shortcoming, and we expect this from others, and therefore restoration is oftentimes do not happen. And then someone leave, go to it somewhere else, and then go to another place, and that's how all these divisions occur. And it's, it is one thing to take action in discipline out of love and care, but it is another thing to also take an action in restoration. And here we need God's grace, and you remember what we do read in the epistle to the Galatians, the letter that Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said in chapter 6, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tested." Bear ye one another burden. This is Galatians six verses one and two. So here Paul, second Corinthians two, verses five onward, he is encouraging the Corinthian to seek to help one another to grow in love. So in verse five, Paul point to the one that caused the grief, of which we read in first Corinthians chapter five. Listen to verse five here. Second Corinthians 2 verse 5, but if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. In other words, he's speaking now, he's looking back and about that man, that person that have sinned and caused grief and problem. Now that they have taken action and putting him out of the fellowship of the local assembly, He's speaking about him, and in verse 6, he says uh, that man was punished sufficiently. The punishment was to put him out of fellowship, to remind you, beloved brothers and sisters, that a believer who lives in such an immoral way does not judge himself, confess his sin or her sin. They need to be put out of the fellowship in view of restoration. It's always supposed to be like that. Paul saying in verse six, sufficient such a man is this punishment which is inflicted of many. In other words, that person of first Corinthians chapter five that have been apparently put already out of fellowship. You remember in First Corinthians chapter five, he says in verse two, you should mourn that he that have done this deed might be taken away from among you. In other words, he is to be taken away from among you to deliver such a one, verse 5, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, to Satan, to destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Yeshua, the Lord Jesus. In other words, he's a child of God, he's a believer. If he or she or they want to continue on to live this kind of immoral life, well, they cannot do it within the local assembly and enjoy the fellowship with the assembly. They are putting out... And therefore, in view of restoration, to see that that's not the ways of the Lord. Sin is so easily beset mankind. But it needs to be a repentance, a restoration, and then continue on to grow together in the work of the Lord and in the life of God's people. And so, God sometimes disciplines His own people. We read in... Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, quoting what Shlomo said in the book of Proverbs to the people of Israel. We do read in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 12, Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you, as unto children? My son despise not thou the chastener of the Lord, not faint when thou art rebuke of him for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourges every son whom he receiveth. So God have to discipline us, and a local assembly has to have the mind of the Lord to discipline a believer that needs to be disciplined. But it's always, whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. And He scourges every son whom He receives. In other words, He's always in view of restoration, beloved brothers and sisters. God desire us all to build one another and to edify one another and to strengthen one another is the part of the body of Mashiach, the body of Christ. And when a time we need to be disciplined, God does discipline us. Because we cannot continue on to live in sin. We fall from time to time, but we need to go into the throne of grace and to repent. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And so, in verses 5 and 6, Paul seeks to explain that love towards this person seeks to help others to grow. And so, he says, sufficient, verse 6, sufficient such a man, his punishment, which he was already, it was inflicted by the many. And so in verses 7 to 11, how important it is to have a compassionate heart and not a hard-hearted. You see, because we are born of the Holy Spirit of God as believers, born again, born of the Spirit of God, it does not mean that we have not time allowed the flesh to have its own course. The whole epistles from Romans, the whole 13 epistles that the apostle and Shaul Paul wrote to the believers is corrective ministries. And it's all written to correct believers, not unbelievers. And the whole situation in Corinth that was needful for the first epistle to be written, it was written to the saints who were walking like the world. So a believer still have this all sin nature. I know that in me that is in my flesh, Paul said, well, it's no good thing. The flesh lusts us against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, contrary to each other. There's an ongoing battle of, as we walk here in this world. And sometimes because of lack of love and in pride, we do not even know how to restore someone else. And so in verses 7 to 11, true love will also forgive and encourage and restore. Verse 7, Paul urged the Corinthians to forgive that man, so that, contrariwise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrows. How much can we load another one failing to sin when he or she repented of that sin? And turn back to God and seek to continue to walk with the Lord. What are we going to do? Are we going to continue to lay that heavy load and in pride say no. He must, it's going to be another year, another two years, another five years, another ten years. That's what Apostle Paul is saying. Don't you allow this contrary words. Now is the time you ought rather to forgive him. To comfort him. Don't let him be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. In verse 8, Paul urged the Corinthians to show him love. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. Amazing, amazing. You know, Paul, Shaul, is really a miniature picture of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who came from heaven. To forgive sinners. And he is not likely doing so. He paid for that. A great price. And that is fascinating. I often read these verses in the book of Romans. In chapter 5. Where we do read. God commended his love towards us. at while we were not as Yet. Sinners. The Messiah loved us. He died for us. Verse That was verse 8 of Romans 5. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. We were enemies. Beloved brothers and sisters, And even earlier, in verse 6 of Romans chapter 5, For when we were without strength, in due time the Mashiach, the Messiah Christ, died for the ungodly. That's who God is. And that's who the Mashiach Yeshua Jesus is. And that is who you and I need to be, and yet balanced balance in a walk with the lord when one need to be put out because he or she did not turn away from the wrongdoing yes the local assembly need to know that one has to be put up and not to glow and to be proud as if everything in them is so great as the corinthian condition was but now when this person have repented we need to learn to forgive Verses 7 and 8 of 2 Corinthians 2, forgive for his sake, forgive. And then verses 9 and 10, he continued not only to forgive, uh, but also to forgive for the Lord's sake. So to forgive for Paul's sake, because he said in verses 7 and 8, so contrary Ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest uh, perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I, not as I, Paul, beseech you that ye would confirm your love towards him. In other words, forgive him for Paul's sake. Now, the very same Paul who told them what they ought to do because they didn't judge the situation in their local assembly. Now he gave them godly counsel. You see the balance that Shaul Paul had in his life? Is the time to do this and the time to do that? Is the time to to discipline, there is time to restore, there is time to to act in one way, is the time to act in another way. Paul was a wise apostle, Shaliach, messenger of the Lord Yeshua Jesus the Messiah. Now he's adding in verses 9 and 10, he says, you need to forgive him not only because I, my sake, I counsel you, I beseech you, verse 8, but also for God's sake. Verse 9 and 10, for to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also for if I forgive anything to whom I forgive it for your sake forgave I it not as in the person of Christ in the person of the Messiah you see beloved brothers and sisters notice he used this word forgive so many times here in these two verses he says to them in verse 10 to whom ye forgive anything I forgive also. For I forgave anything to whom I forgave. For your sake, forgive I it in the person of Christ. In other words, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Lord Yeshua the Messiah, they need to forgive. And here Paul is saying, do it. It is the right thing to do, lest this person be be over much sorrow it is time to restore him back into the fellowship of the local congregation and so in verse 11 now the apostle Paul said forgive him for the believer's sake and notice verse 11 he said Lest, listen, lest Satan should get an advantage over us for we, notice that we are not ignorant of his devices. You see, what Satan does, beloved brothers and sisters, Satan wants to take an advantage of God's people. And if we are not careful, we will not benefit God's people, the local assembly. See, That is exactly what Satan is always seeking to do. Now notice that if you just go a little bit forward to 2nd Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Notice what we read about Satan. 2nd Corinthians chapter 11. We do read about uh, uh, Satan uh, because Satan is always desiring to find fault and to cause all to come as an angel of light seeking to cause God's people to fall. It says in Second Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 14, he says, I marvel, no marvel, he says, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing that his ministers, those who cannot follow him, be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. In other words, if there are those who are so self-righteous in any local assembly, and uh, instead of following the will of the Lord, really doing the will of Satan, we are really not ignorant of the devices of Satan. You remember he came to Eve, Satan. Came to Eve through the serpent and said, Has God said? He caused Eve, Chava, in the Garden of Eden, to doubt. Has God said? This Satan constantly seeking to harm the people of God. Sometimes he comes as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, and sometimes he comes as a roaring lion, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Satan, the enemy of God, is the enemy of God's people. In the whole history of our people of Israel, Satan always sought to destroy the people of Israel, to accuse the people of Israel before God, to seek to cause them to turn away from God and from God's love for them. And instead of turning to God they, when they listen to Satan, and, and then they end up departing from the Lord. In a similar way, in church history, the same thing. The Lord Jesus, God loved the assembly and God's people. And Satan is always seeking to turn God's people away from him, away from the truth. And same church history. It occurs throughout the history. Look what's going on in the professing church in Christendom where there is a departure from the truth of the Word of God to all sort of things which are contrary to the Word of God. And the denial of the deity of the Messiah, uh, denial of the triunity of the Godhead, denial of the Word of God, and so on and on and on. This is what is existing and existed throughout the 2,000 years of church history. Is the same battle that is going on, beloved brothers and sisters. And we are not exempt from this today. And so, in these first 11 verses, beloved brothers and sisters, we have the need to have compassionate heart towards one another, towards those that are disciplined, and always there is a need to have desire to restore one another when one fall. And that's why this verse that Paul, Shaul Paul, wrote in Galatians chapter 6. That's why one need to be spiritual minded. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, not ye which are carnal, but ye which are spiritual, restore such a one with the spirit of meekness, meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tested and tempted and fall yourself. And so, as the Apostle Paul it covered in his letter here in Second Corinthians 2 verses 1 to 11, the need to have compassion and to restore such a one, let us just remember that we need the whole army of God because Satan is the one that is constantly has all, devising all sort of plans to cause God's people to stumble and to fall. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole army of God that ye may be able to, not as that to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is in Ephesians 6 and verse 11. You see in Second Corinthians 2 and verse 11, we are not ignorant of his devices. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, they put all armor of God that he may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, we read, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against power, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole army of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Then he present the arm of God, the panoply of God, in verses fourteen onwards, built the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the word of God, and how needful it is, beloved, and always praying. Verse 18 of Ephesians 6, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. How wonderful and needful is this, beloved brothers and sisters. So Paul Is writing in 2nd Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, the need to have a compassionate heart to understand Paul. He had to, to write a severe letter, he had to severely deal with the spiritual state and condition of the Corinthians. But now, when this person that was placed out of fellowship and was now repenting, they need to restore him back into the local assembly now in verses 12 to 17 paul is to encourage the corinthians to triumph in their spiritual walk and that is going to have a conquering faith faith in the person of your of the lord jesus the messiah and to go on from victory to victory as trials coming in life and each believer facing trials And each local assembly facing trials, well, the mature and godly people of God, the spiritual local assembly, the spiritual individual will be able to conquer, to live triumphantly as they lean on the Lord Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. So in verses 12 to 17, we read in verse 12, Paul is explaining to the Corinthians how the Lord is opening doors for him. He says, furthermore, verse 12, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, the Mashiach's gospel, a door, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. In other words, the Lord is opening doors for the apostle Shaul Paul. Remember in chapter 16 and verse 9 of the first epistle, Paul already wrote to them for a great door and an effectual is open unto me. But there are many adversaries. Now in the second epistle he saying, look, here in verse 12, he says, a door was open unto me of the Lord. So he went to Troas. A door was open unto him there to preach the Messiah's gospel, Christ's gospel, the besoa, the glad tidings. People came to know the Lord. Verse 13, but Paul had no peace in his heart as he could not find Titus. In other words, he sent Titus, he was waiting for Titus to find out what's the situation in Corinth. Of course, now he's saying, you know, that he didn't have any peace. He said, but I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. So I left Troas by taking leave of them, that is in Troas, he says, I went from thence to into Macedonia, he went to Philippi. So what happened, beloved brothers and sisters? Paul went to Troas, the door was open unto him. He was telling the Corinthian that he was waiting to hear what is going on with the Corinthian. Did they receive his letter? How did they feel about his severe letter? And and he's writing now in the second epistle how he felt. He opens his heart to the Corinthian. And so now he's saying to them in verse 14, because he left Troas, he went to Macedonia, and so he's now speaking to them. And you notice, by the way, just to mention how important Titus was, and Timothy, these two younger brothers, he called them my brother, Titus my brother, ha-achsheli, ha-achsheli my brother. We read of Titus in chapter 7. And verse six, Second Corinthians 7 and verse 6 said, Nevertheless, God had, com- had comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. You see, he's telling them that Titus did come, he's say, but how much he appreciated Titus who was serving with him in the gospel. In verse 13 and 14 of Second Corinthians chapter 7, he again mentioned, Therefore we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. So again, this second epistle, Paul is explaining how he felt and why he had to write this severe letter, and why now he is saying how he felt towards the Corinthians, and Titus was used by the Lord to bring a message from the Corinthians to Paul that things had been settling in Corinth. And now he, Titus, was refreshed, so Paul was refreshed. In verse 14 of Second Corinthians 7 we read, For if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we speak all things to you in truth even so our boasting which I made before Titus is found in truth. In other words, he told much to Titus about the Corinthians and how much the Lord have used him and how he loved the Corinthians and and so on. So Titus now returning back and giving the Apostle Paul such a great uh, information that things were settling and so on. This is so beautiful. And you notice that Titus is mentioned again and again in 2nd Corinthians 7 and verse 6, verse 13, verse fourteen, Second Corinthians 8, verse 6, 16, 23, 2 Corinthians 12, and so on. Uh, he's mentioned again and again because he was very important to him, beloved brothers and sister. How wonderful to have such a person as Titus to serve the Lord with. And you know, this is in every sphere of service. Uh, Those of us that work among our Jewish people, what a wonderful thing to have others that have the same common exercise and desire to reach to the Jewish people in the ministry of the gospel to explain that Yeshua is the Mashiach, that he came from heaven, and how wonderful to work with other believers that have the same conviction. And the gospel is to be reached to every people, tongues, and nation. You see, Peter was the apostle to the circumcision. Paul was the apostle to the uncircumcision. Both of these are ministries that were given by the Lord. So beautiful to see the way in which God raised his servants to work. And so Titus served with Paul among the nations, Timothy as well, among the Gentile world. And they were serving with him. And when Titus came, what a refreshment it was for him. We are back to 2nd Corinthians chapter 2. He was saying he couldn't find Titus. And so notice what we read in verse 14. Paul eh, turned to God with thanksgiving. And he says in verse 14, Now thank be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, in Mashiach, and make manifest the savor of his knowledge By us in every place. That word aroma, savor, it's amazing. In other words, Paul turned his heart to God and he gave God thanks. God always causes us to triumph through Christ, through the Messiah. God works all things for the good. You remember we read in Romans 8. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And God is not always causing us to triumph through the Messiah, but God works all things in a way that will ultimately be for the good of His own people. God make manifest the aroma of his knowledge everywhere through his people. Beloved brothers and sisters, as you and I, with all our failure and shortcoming, but when we obey the Lord and live for the Lord Jesus the Messiah, we can leave aroma. We can leave this Hebrew we say Reach Nikoch the aroma, the sweet smelling savior. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, in a Messiah, and make us manifest the savor of His knowledge, not our knowledge, not the knowledge of ourselves, but the knowledge of Him, by us in every place. We need to be occupied with Him, and we need to share Him, the Messiah, Christ, and God before the world around us. This world is so sad. Conflicts on every hand. Problems and everywhere. Divisions and wars and, and problems everywhere. But when we bring the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, into the picture. When we present Him before the world. We bring, we manifest. God calls us to manifest the Savior of The knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the Messiah, them every place, and in doing it by us, by the believers, whether it is Titus, whether it is Paul, whether it is the Corinthians, whenever each and every one, or you and I, my friend, whenever we seek to live for the Lord, God is using us for his glory. And so we read wonderfully here in these verses. You see, the gospel, when it is proclaimed in the world, it really claimed the spoils of Satan. Lost soul turned to God. Really take away from Satan' domain. Satan is the god of this world who have blinded the mind of them that believe not, lest the glorious gospel should shine unto them. You remember, beloved brothers and sisters, we see this so clearly. And we will see it elsewhere in this uh, letter. You see what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a little bit further. In verse 4, "...the God of this world has blinded the mind of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of the Messiah, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, but Christ Jesus, the Messiah Yeshua, the Lord." And I serve your servants for Jesus' sake. In other words, whenever the gospel is being presented, it is manifesting of the Messiah's knowledge and his grace and his love towards mankind, and he does so by using the people of God. And so, as we're going to conclude in verse 15, God's people are as incense giving forth fragrance to the believers, to the saved, and also to those that perish. For we are unto God a sweet savor, verse 15 tells us, a sweet savor of sweet aroma of Christ, of the Messiah, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. In other words, the gospel message it's like the message of God it's like the sun the same sun that soften the wax and melt the wax is hardening the clay the same message of God's holiness and God's love and God's provision People either melt and receive the message of the grace of God and be so thankful for the love and forgiveness of God or others who reject it and hardening their hearts. So the believers, we, verse 15, are unto God a sweet savor of the Messiah, of Mashiach. A sweet aroma of Messiah, of Christ. In them that are saved and in them that perish. How sad is that aroma of Christ, of the Messiah, should soften the heart of all humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the, Mashiach, the Messiah, the Savior, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish. Beloved friend. But have everlasting life. So the believers. The servant of the Lord Jesus. Become a sweet savor of Christ. A sweet aroma of the Messiah. In them that are saved. And in them that perish. The believers life. And ministry. Is a matter of life and death. My dear brothers and sisters. We affect the world. All around us. In the way. We behave and in the message we present. To the one, we are the Savior of death unto death. And to the other, the Savior of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? You see, the Savior, the aroma, the smell, the truth of the Word of God become for the unregenerated who did not repent and confess they are dead spiritually and will ultimately die and sadly death unto death spiritual death unto eternal death how sad it is the word death means separation you see because we have a sin nature we were born into this world dead in trespasses and sins because we have inherited Adam, Adamic sin nature. In sin did my mother conceive me, David the king of Israel said. And therefore the believers who preach the gospel of the message of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, we are an aroma, we are saviour of death unto death to those who refuse the message of the gospel. But to the other the Saviour of Life unto life. When the message of the gospel and the, the word of encouragement and the, the proper behavior and the love for the people of God, when the gospel is being preached one receive life. And when he or she has been encouraged and strengthened, it is not only life, but it is unto life, not only life here spiritually, but it is also eternal life. But also, as we live here in this world, we are honoring the Lord, and we bring message of glad tidings to a world who need to hear the gospel and a message of encouragement for the believers and restoration and building up one another. Who is sufficient for this thing? We cannot do it on our own. Paul says in verse 16, and who is sufficient to these things, for these things? Only the Lord, with the Spirit of God to work in our hearts and in our lives. He is the one who is sufficient for all these things. Not us, not you, not me. And so he concludes verse in verse seventeen, second Corinthians two seventeen, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity. But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. We don't need to change to corrupt the Word of God. We have to give it as it is. Sometimes we need to correct one another. The Word of God is truth. It's like a a sword, two-edged sword. And so we do not need to change to corrupt God's Word. We need to preach as it is. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need to be saved. And all believers need to be living, seeking to live life for the glory of God. When we fall into sin, we need to repent and return to the Lord. And not to live in sin, but to live in victory, to live a godly life with the help of the Spirit of God. We need to be sincere in the ministry of the Lord. Paul saying here of himself, but as of sincerity... But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we, Paul, Timothy, Titus, and all the servant and all the people of God, we speak in Christ, in the Mashiach, in the Messiah. What a wonderful lesson to learn. So, beloved brothers and sisters, we have learned from these verses, beloved brothers and sisters, the three points from the, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12, all the way to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17, we learn that uh, uh, we need to have a clear conscience, we need to have a compassionate heart, and we need to have faith that is a conquering faith. Beloved brothers and sisters, may the Lord help us to continue on. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Well, God bless you, my dear brothers and sisters and dear friend. Until the next time, we say Shalom, Shalom.